state of South Carolina. The Hill returns on Monday. Until then, Leland Vitter and On Balance starts right now. Tonight, from Charleston, South Carolina, close out. You think he's changed he since will, 2016? Absolutely. Look at him the night of New Hampshire. He's completely unhinged. Nikki Haley doesn't have to win her home state, but can she come close enough to give Donald Trump the race of his lifetime? And we start with multiple breaking stories on this Friday night. Live pictures from Columbia, South Carolina. Former President Trump's moments away from giving his final arguments here in the South Carolina primary. Polls closed less than 24 hours from now in the Palmetto State. He is at the Black Conservative fundraiser there. We'll check in with what the former president is saying in his closing arguments in just a minute. Nikki Haley speaking in Mount Pleasant. That is in some of the wealthier, more vacation-oriented parts of South Carolina. They call it the low country. She's on stage on a rainy night in South Carolina with a trademark American flag sweater. The University of Georgia police have just arrested a suspect in the murder of a nursing student on campus. She went out for a jog and detectives found her dead just hours later. Brian Enton is there to him as news warrants. And now live pictures of Denver, Colorado as we look into the evening sky there on a February winter. There is another balloon, yes, another one, in the air. North American Air Defense Command reports fighter jets just intercepted another high-altitude balloon somewhere between Denver and Salt Lake City. As you can see, a very clear blue sky there. We don't know if it's another Chinese spy craft or a high school science project. We're working our sources at the Pentagon and back to the mountains as news warrants, or if we figure out exactly what the balloon was. In other words, there's a lot going on this Friday evening. We have it all covered as we welcome you to the Ferris Show on television. Tonight, we're live in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, just north of Charleston. And we begin with the ground truth, less than 24 hours from when the polls closed. Trump appears ready to rout Nikki Haley in the Palmetto State. It is not whether he will win, but it is by how much. For those keeping score, the winner in South Carolina went on to be the Republican nominee every time since 1980, with the one exception of Newt Gingrich in 2012. You'll hear from Trump's challenger, Nikki Haley, in just a moment, why she believes Trump is not fit to serve in her strongest attacks yet on Donald Trump. She also shares details on her plan for stopping Vladimir Putin. And not since 1980, has foreign policy played such a major role in a presidential election? When we came on the air two years ago, and one day, Russia had just invaded Ukraine. Shock and awe were the words used to describe Putin's attempt to decapitate Ukraine's government. And you might remember back then, we predicted it would be over in a couple of weeks. It wasn't. The Ukrainians have been incredible. The United States support has been monumental. But two years later, the war there is still raging on with no end in sight. The White House again tried to punish Putin using the same tactics that failed to prevent an invasion in the first place. Today they announced on the two-year anniversary new sanctions. 
And we in the United States are going to continue to ensure that Putin pays the price for his aggression abroad and repression at home. 500 individuals and entities. That is the largest number of designations that we've yet taken in a single Russia-related action. Of course, the White House has to offer up some strong words to the American public. If it sounds familiar, it's because we were told sanctions are the key to crippling Russia. And we were told they are going to cripple Russia and they are going to make Putin pay a price. In fact, we were told that's why we were paying a price at the gas pump and for so many other things as far back as December of 2021. Putin is an aggressor. He is the aggressor. And Putin must pay the price. And he would pay a heavy price. And there will be a lot to pay for that down the road. They'll pay a stiff price immediately, near term, medium term, and long term if they do it. I've made it absolutely clear to President Putin markedly. He'll pay a terrible price. And then there, of course, was Putin's price hike here in the United States. It's very reasonable to say that as Americans, we have paid a far higher price for Putin's invasion of Russia than Putin has paid for his own invasion of Ukraine. President Biden knows, and you should know as well, that these sanctions that have just been announced will not stop Putin. And in fact, you don't need us to tell you that. From Politico, sanctions aren't working, how the West enables Russia's war on Ukraine, the New York Times. Why sanctions haven't hobbled Russia, CNN. The Kremlin has never been richer thanks to a U.S. strategic partner. Dmitry Alperovitch predicted Putin's invasion months before it happened. Now the executive chairman of the Silverado Accelerator out with a new book called World on the Brink, How America Can Beat China in the Race for the 21st Century. Dmitry, good to see you. Uh, let's deal with beating Russia before we beat China. Uh, is there any reason to think that Putin is going to change his actions based on where we are at? And as you look at it, is Joe Biden's policy to bleed Putin or to defeat him? Well, Putin is not going to change his mind because of the sanctions. And we have to remember that sanctions have never actually changed any nation state's behavior. Whether you look at North Korea, whether you look at Iran, Iraq before we invaded that country, none of them have change their behavior despite really onerous sanctions that were put in place on them. But sanctions do have an effect. So Putin is paying a price. It's just a question of how much. Because the right way to think about sanctions is its gravity. It's taking you down. It's slowing you down. And the one thing that you are seeing now is that the Russians are spending a lot of money to keep up this industrial defense industrial machine going. So as much as 40 percent of their liquid assets in their national wealth fund was used last year uh, in part to keep the machinery going to keep producing munitions and that that's having an effect all right you think about the way that vladimir putin has prosecuted this war the way he has seen and dealt with what has come uh, from russia as there's a car alarm going off behind us we will press on uh, there's a bigger issue here right which is how vladimir putin deals with the united states we think about that warning we just got about his uh, new space-based nuclear weapon. From the Wall Street Journal, U.S. warns Russia not to deploy nuclear-armed space weapon uh, to space. They said it could be ready as soon as December. Uh, based on how the United States, how President Biden has acted over the past couple of years, is there any reason to think that Vladimir Putin is going to heed that warning? 
Well, I think it's very unlikely that we have any mechanism to deter Putin because let's face it, that we've already done most of the things to him that he expected us to do and some of the things he probably didn't expect us to do, but he's weathered it. Uh, again, it's having a longer-term effect on the Russian economy. Their inflation is in double digits. Um, they're having, as I mentioned, a lot of liquidity issues. Um, their economy is not doing great, despite the fact that they've been able to invest a lot in defense production, but the rest of the economy is not productive. So absolutely it's having an effect. But in terms of stopping him, no, because he thinks he's winning. He thinks he's, uh, taking, he's clearly taking back to, uh, he's t- conquering territory, new territory oh, in Ukraine. He thinks the Ukrainians are on the back foot. All right, so we play this out just a a little bit farther. Uh, Either Joe Biden continues as president and continues these same policies, Putin continues to remain relatively strong, if not getting stronger. Donald Trump has made the argument that Putin would not have invaded Ukraine under his administration this time around, his second term, because he didn't during the first. And Alexei Navalny would be alive today uh, because Putin didn't kill him during uh, Trump's first term. Uh, Results matter. I'm wondering if you agree with Donald Trump's assessments, and if not, why not? Well, uh, with regards to Navalny, I don't think that's true at all, because there were attempts to kill Navalny that go back to the Trump presidency. So uh, even if they weren't successful, Putin clearly expressed intent to do so. With regards to Ukraine, Ukraine, it's hard to say. I think that uh, the... uh, inability of the the Biden administration to really signal to Putin that there'll be severe consequence for this invasion um, had a role to play here. Unclear whether the Trump administration would have been more forceful or whether President Trump would have said, take it, um, right? Uh, he, he never had a, a particularly warm spot for Ukraine in his heart. So I'm not sure that uh, Vladimir Putin would not have invaded Ukraine under the Trump presidency. Yeah, far more dangerous world than when you and I first started talking a couple of years ago. Dimitri, thank you very much. Congratulations on the new book. Of course, it's not just Russia causing problems. As we look around the world, Iran continues to target American soldiers and sailors across the Middle East without meaningful deterrence and without meaningful consequences. And China encourages them all. Here in South Carolina, that's particularly meaningful. In towns like Monk's Corner, where we are on a Friday night, Chances are everybody in this town either knows somebody or has a family member in the U.S. military, many of whom are in harm's way tonight. In fact, that includes Nikki Haley's husband, who is serving in Africa right now. Nikki Haley's sharpest attacks on Donald Trump focus on foreign policy. She says he will go soft on Putin and encourage the dictator to attack American allies. January 20th, 2025 under President Haley. How does American foreign policy towards Russia change? Well, first of all, the number one goal is to prevent war. I don't want their sons and daughters to go to war either. I don't want my husband to go to war. So it is always about preventing war. And when you look at Russia, you know, I look at the fact that Donald Trump says, when he goes off the teleprompter, this is Mm -hmm. what happens, you see his true self, he goes and says that he would encourage Putin to invade our allies. Mm Keep in mind, you're siding with a man who kills his political opponents. You're siding with a man who arrests American journalists and holds them hostage. You're siding with a man who's made no bones about wanting to destroy America. And you're going to side with that thug over the allies that stood with us after 9-11? What I will do is I am very aware of how Russia loves to cause chaos, how they love to take Mm -hmm. 
advantage of the situation. After Trump did that, Russia felt emboldened. We now see troops going around the Baltic countries. That's not what we want. The way you deal with Russia is you let them know that as an alliance, we're going to stand strong. Russia is intimidated by NATO. NATO has been a 75-year success story. Do we want and demand that those countries do more? Absolutely. But do you ever splinter the alliance? No, America can never be so arrogant to think we don't need friends. These were some of the same arguments that were made during the time you were UN ambassador, during, during Trump's first administration. Navalny was alive during that time. Ukraine wasn't invaded. We had the Abraham Accords and basically peace in the Middle East in a way we hadn't seen before. Trump says now that if he has was president, Navalny would be alive and Ukraine wouldn't be invaded. Is he right? No, because Putin... So killed, Trump's changed. Putin killed Navalny because he was trying to show all of the Russian people, don't counter me, don't oppose me going into these Russian elections. He was making a statement. He's done it before. When I was at the UN, mm -hmm. he had po poisoned others, the Skripals. He had poisoned them on British soil. That's what Putin does. The problem is... I don't know why Trump gets weak in the knees when it comes to Putin. I've never understood it. I talk about it in my book. I've addressed him on it. It is a problem. He needs to see him for the thug that he is. Russia, China, and Iran are in an unholy alliance. If you don't see that with clarity, that's a problem. And the leader of the free world needs to have moral clarity. They need to know the difference between right and wrong. This is about preventing war. That's the key. So give me the specifics. How does American foreign policy on January 20th towards Russia change? First of all, towards the entire world, I went and told Donald Trump this, and I think it's imp important. Stop giving money to countries that hate America. Stop trying to buy off countries. We can't do that. What we need to do is make sure no country will get straight up cash from us because you can't follow it. You can't hold it accountable. Ukraine will have a friend in us because we know if Ukraine wins, China won't invade Taiwan. Israel will have a friend in us because we know Iran. There would be no Hamas, Hezbollah or Houthis without Iran. And right now they feel emboldened. We would make sure that we sanction Russia, not just sanctioning them, but sanctioning anybody that helps them, including China and Iran. That's not happening right now. We would seize Russian assets and give all of that money to Ukraine, which Trump will not do anything about. Joe Biden won't do anything about. We've got to start really putting Russia on their heels. We can do this. You don't do it the Joe Biden way by putting your head in the sand, and you don't do it the Donald mm -hmm. Trump way by going into retreat. You do it as a strong America that's focused on telling countries what America's for and what America's against. That's what I did at the UN. I didn't care if they didn't like me, but I wanted them to respect America. That requires strength. Hi. And there is some new breaking news on this Friday evening. You're looking live at Athens, Georgia. Police there at the University of Georgia have said that the suspect who killed a young nursing student in what they're calling a crime of opportunity was, quote, not a U.S. citizen. Whether he was here illegally or not, we do not know. Uh, police, you can see there, are still taking questions. 26-year-old uh, Jose Antonio Ibera is now in custody, charged in the crime of the murder of this nursing student. We have Brian Enton there asking some questions. More on the developments out of the University of Georgia as the press conference wraps up when we come back. Also to Nikki Haley on why she's staying in this race despite long odds and her solution to attack on Republicans. 
over Alabama banning fertility treatments. She has personal experience. She gets emotional. We'll hear from her. And the Fannie Willis case now reads like a John Grisham novel. The new cell phone data showing her lover prosecutor may have lied on the stand. Will this be the end of the case against Trump? I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. This is the truth, Judge. And this it, it, it is a lie. It is gonna, a lie. Right, Ms. Willis, Mr. I thank you. We're going to take five minutes. All right. Breaking news is we're continuing to follow out of the University of Georgia. Lakin Riley, a 22-year-old nursing student, was murdered there. She went out for a job and didn't come back. Police found her bruised and bloodied body nearby. Jose Antonio Abera has been arrested, charged with a long list of things. Murder, false imprisonment, several other charges. Police also announced Abera is not a U.S. citizen. Whether or not he is in the United States illegally or not is something that we are still trying to understand. Our Brian Enton was in the press conference, and he is going to come be with us in just a couple of minutes with more on what police said. We're also working our sources at CBP, Customs and Border Protection, and the Border Patrol to see what that name comes back to, the 26-year-old who is not a U.S. citizen. If it turns out he is an illegal immigrant, it will only be another part of the immigration story that has taken hold in the presidential election. It is something that every candidate has now been forced to talk about. Republicans have elevated the issue. President Biden knows it is a huge threat for him from swing voters or for swing voters. Something Nikki Haley talks about a lot on the stump. And Nikki Haley's events, when you go to them, remind you almost of a normal time in American politics. The crowds are polite, the candidate earnest, and the politics relatively sensible. Earlier, we asked her supporters as we look at live pictures of one of her rallies on a beautiful night here in Charleston. We asked her supporters what they tell their friends here in South Carolina, the majority of which are Donald Trump supporters. Tomorrow is election day. Anybody can vote in this election as long as they didn't vote in the Democratic primary on February 3rd. I need you to get out and vote. I need you to take five people with you. I feel that she is definitely a person of intelligence, integrity, and she has good self-discipline and self-control. I think she's got a good business sense. She's pragmatic. I think she really does care about people. She's looking to remove the drama and the... uh, you know, all the challenges out of our process and really look for compromise that we haven't seen lately in our discourse. If Donald Trump continues his Iowa and New Hampshire margin of victory through South Carolina and through Super Tuesday a week from Tuesday, he's going to lock up the nomination somewhere around mid-March until he or she, meaning Nikki Haley, wins the needed 1,215 delegates, we have a two-person race. And Nikki Haley, as we found out both on the stump and in interviews, is finally throwing some punches. There's been a lot made, and you've become much more vocal about Donald Trump uh, arguing. I don't know if you've gone as far as to say he's unfit for office, but you've gone pretty close to that line. In retrospect, 
do you wish you'd started prosecuting the case against him harder earlier in the race? No, because there were 14 people in the race. I had to defeat a dozen of them to get to this point. So the focus was on the dozen. Okay. Now he is my opponent. I think he was the right president in 2016. I don't think he's the right president now. But I think we can also look at what's he saying. Because he won't. You think he's changed he since will, 2016? Absolutely. Look at him the night of New Hampshire. He's completely unhinged. He's completely distracted over these court cases. And the fact that he can't win is a real thing that he knows. He says all day long, look at the polls I win. Where? Find me one. Because he doesn't. I can show you a dozen where he loses. And now the RNC, he wants to take control of the RNC. And they're saying this is all going to be about Donald Trump. What about the House? What about the Senate? How are we ever going to win if you're going to take all those resources for him and not do it to win the other elections? I always say you can't only cherry pick what polls you like, right? So we've got the polls of where you are with the Republican electorate and where you are in the general election. Why does this electability argument not work with Republican primary voters? It does. We had some people out there just now that said we like Donald Trump, but we have to win in November. It does work. I mean, I think people understand that, you know, look, I voted for Donald Trump twice. I was proud to serve America in his administration. But at the end of the day, with all of this chaos that's happening, we can't fix it if we don't win. And that's the reality. You've got 70% of Americans that say they don't want Donald Trump or Joe Biden. 60% of Americans are saying Donald Trump and Joe Biden are too old to be president. Speaking of results and an issue that has come up, the Alabama Supreme Court has now allowed the media to brand Republicans as anti-fertility, as anti-family. How do you fix that before November? Well, both of my children are from fertility. I am pro-fertility and I am pro-family. And I will tell you that what has happened in Alabama, what we don't want to see is states all over the country do a knee-jerk reaction. What we do want them to remember is when it comes to fertility treatments, this is a personal decision between the physician and the parents, period. No argument there. Somehow, I think we've all seen because of Dobbs and the overturning of Roe that those sensitive conversations are now something that is of of the government purview. How do we square this circle, though? You have said that embryos are babies. You said that yesterday. You can't do IVF, and you know this, without at times putting embryos at risk, without sometimes destroying them. How do you square being pro-IVF that involves destroying embryos if embryos are children? Because I see embryos as babies. Other people may not see it that way. After going through it myself, that's the way I see it. But at the end of the day... So how does that look as a law? The point is you shouldn't have a law. Let's not. We don't need to have government intruding in something like this. When a couple is going through trying to get pregnant, there's a lot of factors at play. And even with the embryos, there's some that are viable, some that aren't viable. All of that is taken into account as to how many, as to what happens, all of that. Let's leave that between the doctor and the and the parents. And let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to close down these fertility places because look, I have two blessings because of them. We need to make sure that they stay active. Forgive me for asking it this way, but saying between a woman and her doctor sounds an awful lot like the talking point we hear from the left about the issue of abortion. Mm-hmm. Where do you draw that line on fertility? Is it just in the fertility conversation that is between a woman and a doctor? Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to look at that because the doctors advise how many embryos you should have. 
which ones are viable, which ones aren't. There's a lot of conversations there that you can't put a law in that and decide how you're going to separate that out. And we don't want to see that. What I do want to see is that embryos are protected. Okay. And respected, and they're dealt with in that way. I will say, of, of all the conversations I ever thought I would have with a presidential candidate, this was not one of them, but I, I appreciate it. I saw you a couple of days ago mm-hmm. give your state of the race speech, mm-hmm. and you cheered up about your husband. Yeah. And it was a different Nikki Haley than I've seen. I followed your campaign for a long time. Where was that, Nikki Haley? Where's that, where was that emotion and that emotional connection six months ago? You've changed a little bit. I don't think I've changed. I mean, I think you can ask South Carolinians. They've seen that emotion. They saw it um, after the Mother Emanuel shootings. I mean, those are things that happen. There are times where you just can't um, completely hold it in. And I I did not expect that to happen. But look, I miss him. He's like my right arm. I've never gone through anything like this without him. I met him when I was 17. He was my first boyfriend. I mean, it's hard to go through life and not have that person with you. And I wake, Especially the biggest moments of your life. Well, and of his. You know, I wake up every morning and go to bed every night worried about his safety and wanting to make sure he's okay. There are times that he has no internet and I don't hear from him for days. And so, you know, it's a tough process. Yeah. And I, I look at what my kids are going through. And, you know, for but I'm no different than any other military family. This is what military families go through. It's hard. It's sacrifice. And I just happen to be running for president. And there's a lot of military families in South Carolina feeling exactly the same way she does every night. With us now, Adam Wren, national politics correspondent at Politico, covering the Republican race. David Drucker, senior writer at The Dispatch. And Niall Stanage, White House columnist for The Hill. Gentlemen, thank you all. We appreciate it, Adam, since you are here. We are going to start um, with you. How big of a problem is the IVF conversation for Republicans? Well, it instantly was sort of diffused for Republicans after President, former President Trump came out today and said that he was pro-IVF. Uh, before that, there was a staggering silence among uh, candidates uh, down ballot, uh, up and down the ballot. Um, and so, you know, I was at an event with Tim Scott when he voted uh, on Thursday, and he said that he hadn't studied the issue. Uh, and so there was a lot of tension. So Trump, Trump says it, and then the rest of the party will right. follow. That's All right. right. Uh, we've, seen that on, we've seen that on a lot of issues. Uh, David Drucker, you have sort of a unique insight into the donor base uh, in the Republican Party. Has often said uh, that the opposite of every primary candidate's problem is Nikki Haley's problem. Nikki Haley has a, a voter problem, not a donor problem. Uh, when you talk to donors, I have some of my own reporting, but when you talk to the big money donors who are continuing to put money behind Nikki Haley, what is their justification for continuing to support someone who keeps losing? They want to see a Republican carry the message she's carrying, the traditional Reagan-era message, the message of normalcy. And I'll tell you, um, Leland, and speaking of voters here in South Carolina over the past couple of days, including at this rally here, what they were telling me is that they understand she may not win, although they don't accept that yet, but they're glad she's out there fighting the fight and saying what she's saying because they want to believe that that Republican Party still exists. Fair enough. Um, and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. She's taking taking that fight on. She makes a good point, David, uh, in our interview and in others over and over again, that she beats Trump. Uh, she beats Biden uh, in a head-to-head matchup, double digits. Trump and Biden are tied right now in the polls. Uh, Niall, as you've traveled the state, and I know uh, you're there near a uh, Donald Trump event, 
Why does that electability argument not seem to resonate with Republican voters? Well, for one simple reason and one more complicated reason. The simple one is obviously Donald Trump won in 2016 and much of the Republican base clings to the belief he won in 2020. The other thing is they're just so enraptured by him still. This is Donald Trump's party, Leland. That's why you have someone like Nikki Haley, who is a talented politician, down by 30 points in her home state. It's not all to do with a failing of Haley's. It's to do with the fact that Trump is almost unbeatable in a Republican primary. General election, different story. Republican primary, it's his party. Yeah, very, very, very much uh, a different story. General versus primary. Uh, Adam, real quick to you, do these polls about Nikki Haley so badly beating Joe Biden scare Democrats at all? You know, I I think they do, but I think Democrats are largely resigned to the reality that Donald Trump is going to be... You say resigned. Are they secretly a little happy about it? Uh, That that, that would be fair. You know, um, I I, I think they are. But at the same time, when you look at some of these battleground polls between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, you know, they don't have a lot of margin to be happy. I mean, Trump is leading in many of these states. Uh, You know, Michigan is a toss-up. Pennsylvania, he's leading. Uh, And so, you know, I think they have a tough road to hoe, uh, whoever the nominee is. All right. uh, Looking ahead uh, to Super Tuesday, California, Trump 72, Haley 20, North Carolina, Trump plus 57, Vermont, Trump plus 30. David, um, where does Nikki Haley have, and I hate to put it in this blunt of terms, is there a state she has any chance to beat the man to be the man? Well, that's a really good question. It's going to be very difficult for her because Super Tuesday is a quasi-national primary and those national poll numbers where Trump is beating her so badly really come into play here. You can't just say, well, it's a state-by-state issue. National polls don't matter. I'd, I'd watch Virginia. I'd watch the Washington, D.C. primary. I'd see if she can do some damage in Texas where you've got proportional delegates being awarded. Uh, but it's just going to be a tough road to hoe for her because, you know, unlike years past, Leland, when it was the insurgent-minded candidates and, and part of the coalition that was trying to overcome the more traditional majority, the insurgents are now in the majority, and someone like Haley, who represents uh, the, the, the Reagan co- part of the coalition, is now in the minority, and so she's got an uphill climb. Niall, how much do you think uh, tonight, specifically, President uh, Trump speaking to a, a black conservative coalition rather than having some large rally is maybe not to voters, but to the political class, a sign of I'm not worried. I got this. I mean, I think that Trump is strongly of the belief that he has this. I'm not sure how much that speech ultimately matters one way or another. Obviously, the former president believes that he could perhaps have more of an appeal to black voters. There is a class shift going on in American politics where working class voters, regardless of ethnicity, are becoming even more inclined toward the Republican Party. I think it's part of that picture, but I'm not sure how much it's connected to the primary. Yeah, we're seeing that class divide uh, in the primary here in South Carolina also. Uh, Working class voters breaking for Donald Trump very strong. The northern part of the state, the southern part of the state 
uh, more affluent, more college educated, a lot of snowbirds and retirees breaking for Nikki Haley. It shows you where and why the candidates are on this last night before the polls open. Adam, Niall, David Drucker, gentlemen, thank you very much. When we come back to Athens, Georgia, the murder of a young nursing student at UGA, a 22-year-old woman murdered, seeming a crime of opportunity, and new questions now about whether the suspect was in the United States legally or not. A 26-year-old has been arrested. This could be the next big story in the presidential debate and the immigration debate in America. We'll see you in a minute. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Back to the breaking news out of Georgia that could have a major impact on the conversation about illegal immigration in the United States. Police at the University of Georgia just announced an arrest in the murder of 22-year-old nursing student Lakin Riley. They identify the suspect now as Jose Antonio Abera, facing a long list of charges, murder, false imprisonment, as well as a number of additional counts. And they announced that Abera is not a U.S. citizen. Ryan Enton is there in Athens, Georgia, and with us now in what police call a crime of opportunity. So she went out for a jog and never returned. Yeah, it, it's awful. We tried to drill down on what the chief meant when he said, not U.S. citizen, Izzy Barra in the country illegally. He said he doesn't know at this point, uh, but that he believes he is from Venezuela. You read a couple of the charges, malice murder, felony murder, aggravated battery, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, hindering 911 call, uh, and concealing the death. Uh, Lake and Riley was just going out for a jog, Leland, a beautiful, young uh, 22-year-old college student. She went to the University of Georgia. She was now getting her nursing degree, her master's. Uh, she went out for a jog yesterday, and she was beaten. Uh, the chief told me that it was blunt force trauma, that this man beat her to death uh, and then left her body out there. Her roommate didn't know where she was, called police. Uh, they went out looking around the University of Georgia campus near the intramural fields. There's a trail there. And that's where they, uh, they discovered her body, Leland. Yeah, she evidently ran cross-country, uh, her high school coach from River Ridge High School. Her passion for healthcare science and running to be admired. Um, anyone willing to get into the nursing field and take care of others, it says a lot about their compassion um, in life. Uh, Brian, we just got this in from Mike Collins, Congressman. The blood of Lake and Riley is on the hands of Joe Biden. The Venezuelan suspect is one of the millions of illegal aliens that the Biden administration has released into the country. So if that proves to be true, it will be uh, undoubtedly another touch point in the immigration debate in America. Brian Enton in Georgia will keep following this story throughout the night and through the weekend for us. Live pictures now of Dr. Ben Carson uh, on the stump, teeing up President Trump as he gets ready to speak in South Carolina. The final event before the primary. The immigration debate has taken center stage. Donald Trump was the one who put it there in 2016. 
And now we have one more horrific crime that is very likely tied to the immigration debate, which interestingly enough is now polling as one of the top concerns of African-Americans, especially African-American men, the intersection of it all when we come back. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And you might say this is part of his general election strategy to take away Biden's core constituency of African-American voters. Ambassador Ed McMullen was Trump's campaign chairman for the South Carolina primary in 2016. Ambassador Switzerland under the president. It's good to see you, Mr. Ambassador. Thank you. Uh, is there this subtle shift we're seeing of Donald Trump towards a general election strategy? I, no, I think the president has always worked very closely with conservative blacks. People who are working class, educated blacks are coming more and more into the Republican Party. The president has a great affinity for working to expand the party. He's working aggressively. You see that tonight. I think I just heard today that the African-American early vote right now is substantial, and it's trending toward those who voted in Republican primaries. So the president is doing really well with a segment of the African-American community in South Carolina that is going and moving more toward Republicanism for Trump. Yeah, you, you think about this, really, if, if President Trump, former President Trump, is able to pull away 10 or 15 points of the African-American point in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Yeah. Uh, that, that really is the ballgame. One of the issues that we hear over and over again with, as you said, working class African-Americans, is immigration. And that, yes. was, that was President Trump's issue that yes. he brought to the forefront in 2016. Um, how is it that it's come all the way back around now to one of the top issues? Well, I think, you know, in 2020, the president did exceedingly well with blacks and Hispanic voters. Today, you see, after the president served the first term, he got immigration under serious control. There weren't problems in the communities where African-Americans are facing crime, uh, jobs, lots of issues that are really pre prevalent in the community that are having an effect on their voting patterns. And so we're seeing this real interest in President Trump's policies on immigration and they're having a really positive effect on the president being able to attract a segment of the population that we have not traditionally done well with. And so it's very exciting that he's down in Columbia tonight working with the community, a large number of African-American conservatives from South Carolina and around the country. And I think you're going to see a lot of that during a Trump administration, a second administration. Uh Hypothetical matchups, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, 51-49, sometimes uh, within the margin of error. Uh, Joe Biden, Nikki Haley, runaway margins for Nikki Haley um, that we're seeing. What does Donald Trump have to do to appeal to the suburban women, the swing voters that Nikki Haley does in a poll like this? Well, first off, those polls are not accurate because Nikki Haley's only run in three states. They don't know her around the country. Okay, so they're not legitimate polls. The president time and again polls extremely well in the battleground states yep. against Biden. Uh, that's going to be the difference in the, in the general election, and I think the president's ready to go out and start that fight. I think after tomorrow, when he wins with a large margin, you'll see him start that campaign. What do you define as a large margin tomorrow? Uh, look, I think with a governor, sitting governor, or not sitting, but a former governor from South Carolina on the ballot, to, for President Trump to win by one is a huge victory. Okay. okay. But I think the president will win by a substantial margin, anywhere from 20 to 25, 30 to 35. We see all kinds of all right. 
numbers out there, but I, I'm willing to bet it'll be a very substantial margin that'll show that in her home state, Nikki Haley was not able to beat Donald Trump. Well, and it is exactly the mandate he needs to move forward. Well, I appreciate it. We got to run. Uh, you heard it here. Polls close now. Uh, in a little less, a little more than 23 hours, we'll get that number uh, about 24 hours from now. Good Thank to see you, Mr. Ambassador. You. Thank you very much. Next, the Fannie Willis saga. Nathan Wade takes another weird turn. New cell phone data might show they lied on the stand in the Trump case. So how long will the media protect them? Filings today from Team Trump raise new questions about the credibility of the two prosecutors going after the former president in Georgia. Cell phone location data strongly suggests that Nathan Wade spent a significant amount of time at Fannie Willis's condo and definitely not during normal business hours. Media analyst Arthur of Uncovered, Steve Krakauer, is with us now. If this means what we think it does, Steve, 2,000 phone calls, 12,000 texts, uh, it means Fannie Willis and uh, Nathan Wade uh, likely committed perjury. How long do you think until the media abandons Fannie Willis? I think it's coming soon. And I have to say, between the filings and what happened last week, which we should thank Judge McAfee for just live streaming this hearing. You don't normally get to see this, but when you actually got to see it in action, that's when you start to say, oh, you know, there, there's something, there's a real there there. So the knee-jerk response, oh, it's racism, it's sexism, that doesn't hold up because everyone actually got to see it. And what they got to see was also the questioning of, of these two people, uh, Fannie Willis, who paid Nathan Wade $650,000 of taxpayer money to investigate Donald Trump and uh, engage in a relationship with him. They were quite defensive on the stand. Take a listen. Let's say more than 10, but I'm not sure that that's even accurate. Uh, he certainly has come and picked me up. You want to grab some food to eat? Uh, I don't remember him being in that condo a lot. So if phone records were to reflect that you were making phone calls from the same location as the condo before November uh, 1st of 2021, and it was on multiple occasions, the phone records would be wrong? If phone records reflected that, yes, sir. Maybe wrong. Maybe wrong. All right. At what level and at what point does the media become less interested in defending Bonnie Willis and Nathan Wade and more interested in trying to push her out in order to get someone else they would want to go after Donald Trump? That's the key question, right? This, this is so important for the Democratic Party, for elements of the corporate media. These Trump trials are the whole game. The, all of the, the, everything's riding on this. So if you have this really credibility, you know, it is being tainted right now because of Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade, you've got this very important case in Georgia that a lot is riding on when it comes to a Trump prosecution that he cannot then go and potentially, you know, get himself out of if he wins the presidency. So. Right. I think this is hugely important. I think that, that very soon you're going to see the media start to shift to, to, to really stating the obvious, which is all of the conflicts and that we'll we see, if, see in this we'll case. see what Donald Trump has to say about this uh, on, the, on the... Yeah, Steve, thank you. See what Trump has to say about this uh, on the stump this evening. Steve, thank you very much. I'll be in New York tomorrow with Chris Cuomo and Elizabeth Vargas as the results from South Carolina roll in. Here's Chris.
Christopher Cuomo is a very stable genius, almost as smart as me, easily the best man in the news business. And make sure you watch his show on News Nation. Check out his podcast. That's a presidential order.